What is up, everybody? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week will be Serial Mom. But before we get there, it's time for our green hits, because we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Danny, what is this, Jay, that I have just lit up for today? So I actually stopped by a dispensary we've gone to, you know, several times in the past, but haven't been to in a while. But I stopped by over at Mile High and picked up a J of their Dutch Crash pre-roll. So with that being said, this is a 50-50 hybrid. The numbers, as far as, you know, total cannabinoids and things like that, it's coming in at about 21.6%. Don't have anything really on the terpenes as far as, you know, the dominant profile Really don't know the genetics on it either. It just shows me a couple of test results as far as what passed and what didn't pass. So I wish I had a little bit more information. Knowing them though, I know they like to, to do Dutch treat and more than likely like a wedding crash or something like that, wedding cake, mm. something along those lines, maybe even like train wreck. But I, I'm only speculating, so I'd hate to really say that's that's exactly what it is. Not quite sure. Maybe next time I'm in there I'll talk to him about it. Yeah, so see this time. I brought you some truffle cake from Floveret Flower. Truffle cake's one of those ones because when, like, you look it up on, like, Leafly, it says it's an indica dominant, but the one over at Flower isn't. So either it's another strain also called truffle cake, which happens. It does. It expresses different. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, exactly. It, It might be just a different phenotype. They bred it a little bit different. Let's see. The truffle cake that's listed on Leafly is a cross between Gorilla Butter and Pancakes. So that's all I'm going to say from there, though, because they're also listing it as an Indica. What really matters, I think, in this case is that it's going to be about 27% total cannabinoids, 2.2% for the terps, and the top three terpenes found in this are going to be caryophyllene, limonene, and humulene which I feel like is one we don't bring up too often. No, I like humulene. It's known as a, an appetite suppressor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is not what weed's usually known for. No, it's, I was looking at a terpene chart earlier today, and I was looking up humulene, and sure enough, yeah. Interesting. Well, that's what's rocking this time around. I know that I had one earlier. I, I enjoyed it, so... We also want to remind people, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms at the lowest level. You could have listened to this last week, and that's only a dollar a month. Dollar. Top level, you'll get access to the Discord, and that sweet middle spot, you get access to the Patreon-only episodes. We've been doing lookbacks on our old catalog, movies we haven't hit up in six years or more. What's this upcoming one? I know what it is, but I'm asking anyway. Oh, uh, no. So we're capping off this run, and we're going to end cap it once again with Scream. Which is, we didn't really plan that. No, it's just coincidental. You're coincidental. Which I'm so happy that we're going into Scream after this. For a couple different reasons. All fun. All fun. Super excited. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. Once again, Patreon.com slash fried squirms. But... With that, let's find out who and what went into making this movie and get into the Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. All right, Guts and Bolts, Serial Mom, who and what went into the making of this. Spoiler free. Our spoiler free setup for Serial Mom, if you don't know what the fuck that is. I mean, it's kind of in the name, right? Like a housewife and mother has serial killer tendencies. And is a <laughs> dark comedy from John Waters. Yeah, well, like you said, without spoiling anything. No, yeah, with no spoilers, that's that's kind of just what the movie is, right? So, yeah, and you know, of course, we'll get into all the the finer details here soon enough. So, you've already mentioned and alluded to the fact that this is a John Waters film. We even alluded to it last week that this is going to be our formal introduction on the show, even though we've talked about him several times in the past. But with that being said, John Waters. Interesting gentleman. He is a part of what they call the Dreamlanders group, troop, however you want to express it. And with that being said, he's worked with the likes of Divine, right? And some of those films include such things as like Multiple Maniacs, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Polyester. He's also known for the films Hairspray, Crybaby, Pecker, Cecil B. Demented. A Dirty Shame, which is a comedy, but some are a little bit more mainstream, especially once he got into like the later 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. a little bit more mainstream. 
is this one arguably his most mainstream? Yeah, you could argue Either that. Either this or Hairspray? You could argue that, yeah. I definitely. Maybe even Crybaby, you could say. A little bit mm-hmm. because of Johnny Depp. Because of Johnny Depp. Although I'll yeah. say at the time, I feel like that one flew under the radar. I It's agree. been more people re-examining. Without a doubt. And I agree with that. So John Waters is also the writer on this. Our cinematographer is Robert M. Stevens. Gentleman's got some really cool work. And those works include such things as 1982's The Toy. You might have seen his work on the Naked Gun series, which include From the Files of Police Squad, Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, and Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult. He's also done The Burbs, 1990's Fear, excellent movie, Pecker, Simply Irresistible, Cecil B. Demented, Dude, Where's My Car and Kicking It Old School. This is really cool. All right, we've got a couple of different editors on this. We've got Janice Hampton and Erica Huggins. Now I'll start with Erica, and she's known for The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag and Ghost in the Machine. And Janice Hampton has some really cool works. So some of those films include, which I was like, I want to bring this one up earlier because we just did a little field trip. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you, this particular place carries Vestron films. And one of the Vestron films that I picked up is My Best Friend is a Vampire <laughs> from 1987. Now, she's also the editor on Hairspray, Crybaby, which is really neat. Pump up the volume. A film I highly recommend, especially if you're a Christian Slater fan. She also helped on Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare from 1991, House Party Part 2, The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag, Shouldn't Be Surprised, Ghost in the Machine, Angus, really good film, man. Really? Thinner. Okay. Yeah, the movie Woo, (laughs) Pecker, Drop Dead Gorgeous, How to Eat Fried Worms, actually a book I read junior high, Cabin Fever 2. Yeah, some really cool works. All right. Moving forward, we have music composed by Basil Polidoris, and once again, some really cool works here. I'm going to start off with 1980s The Blue Lagoon. Uh, How about 1982's Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Red Dawn, Alfred Hitchcock Presents from 1985, Iron Eagle, (laughs) just a few things of note, Robocop, that's the OG, a couple episodes of Lonesome Dove, if you ever got down on that with your grandma like I did back in the 90s. <laughs> Hot Shots Part Two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Free Willy, The Jungle Book, a lot of Disney stuff, man. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's like, there's a lot of cool works there. All right, now our producers on this are John Fielder and Mark Tarlov. Production companies are Savoy Pictures and Polar Entertainment Corporation. Distributor on this was Savoy Pictures for the 1994 United States theatrical release. Had a release date on April 13th, 1994 in the United States. Budget of about $13 million. It grossed a little over $7.8 million. And the tagline I have is, she's a fabulous, loving, caring mother who er, happens to be a, you guessed it. <laughs> I won't say. I mean, it's the name implies it, right? So I'm trying to leave out spoilers. <laughs> All right. Cast of Serial Mom. I'll just list the family to start off with. I want to start off with Kathleen Turner. She plays the role of Beverly Sutphin, right? Um, let's see here. Starting the serial mom herself. Yeah, starting off with Kathleen Turner. Where do I want to start? How about um, All right, here we go. The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin. She was in Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas. Fantastic fucking movie. Oh, I totally agree. Like it was Holy blockbuster. Shit. Actually, yeah. like it was a big film for its time. This is actually an interesting one. She did with uh, Anthony Perkins, Tony Perkins. It was a Ken Russell film, 1984, Crimes of Passion. It's actually really interesting. She did The Jewel of the Nile, another one of those really cool movies from way back when. She was a part of that Billy Ocean music video, too. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Oh, shit. Danny okay. DeVito, Michael yeah. Douglas were in that, too. Peggy Sue got married. Who framed Roger Rabbit? The War of the Roses. Bro, she's Jessica Rabbit. That is gnarly, isn't it? That's so wild. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Actually, something I wanted to mention, because I'm a fan of David Duchovny, and she was his agent on the show, right? And uh, pretty funny shit, man. She was in uh, Californications, what I'm getting at. She was also in The Virgin Suicides movie. I can't highly recommend enough movie. That movie's really good. I mean, a movie I'm going to throw out there, because it came out when my little brother was eight, so I saw it way more times than I wanted to. Fucking baby geniuses. Yeah, dude, that's pretty cool. Marley and me, if you want a good tearjerker, I suppose. Like, so the list could go on and on and on. She's still doing stuff, man. She's really cool. She's a cool actress. All right, we've got Sam Waterston plays the role of Eugene Sutphin, 
right? Another guy who's got some really cool works. Fuck him, hang him high, McCoy. Yeah, dude. How about this one? Uh, if you want to go back a little bit, two from 1973, Much Ado About Nothing, and actually 73 and 74. 74 was The Great Gatsby, where he played Nick Carraway, which actually mm-hmm. garnered him some attention, I think, at the uh, Academy Awards for like Best Supporting Actor, I believe, something along those lines, maybe even like Best Newcomer, some shit like that. Really neat. He was also, let's see, I want to move a little bit forward. He was in Heaven's Gate from 1980. He played Robert Oppenheimer for the TV miniseries back in 1980 as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of pertinent considering. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> what just came out. I think most people know, probably from our generation too, he was been in so many episodes in Law and Order as like the DA, interim DA, executive ADA, Jack McCoy. Yeah. 400 episodes, 400 dude. episodes? <laughs> Fucking hang him high what? McCoy, bro. That's, it's what he's going to forever go out as now. I think so. 400 episodes of Law and Order. That's, that's unheard of, mostly. And, and I'll probably be remiss if I don't mention, he was also in The Killing Fields back in 1984. All right, gentlemen, we've actually talked about several times before. We talked about him, let's see here, back on episode 19 for Scream, which actually we just talked about coming up. And we've got episode 216, where he was in 13 Ghosts, right? What I'm talking about, Matthew Lillard, Chip Sutphin in the film. He was in a film prior, but this is like his first major film. What was what was before this? He was in, uh, without looking at it, it's a, uh, shit, it's not a good film. It's something ooh, ooh, okay. It's something similar to Trolls, something along those lines. Oh, like yeah, Munchies. You're so close. I think nope. it's like Munchies. You're so close. Uh, you're so close. Is it, it's not Critters, is it? It's something like that. Ghoulies 3. Oh, Ghoulies. That's what it is. Yeah, I was like, I knew it was something along those lines. I just couldn't remember which one. Ghoulies 3. And that was like, 19, for him, 1990, I think? 1991. So yeah. 90 probably when they filmed it. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, Ghoulies go to college. Wow. What? Yeah. Ew. I mean, I'm not going to hold that against the man, but yeah, Serial Mom being one of the big ones. And then when I really start thinking about it, stuff like Hackers, we already mentioned Screamed. How about Salt Lake City Punk? Yeah, that's one that comes to mind. Uh, without a paddle, love fucking without a paddle, so great. Um, he's really good in that. Um, Scooby Doo. I mean, we remiss not to say he's Shaggy. I think most people probably recognize him for that. The spider bait cover of Black Betty on the Without a Paddle soundtrack, dude. He's fantastic. He's killing it. He was actually Wing in, Commander. Yes. How about Twin Peaks, the reboot? Mm. Definitely in that. He was in The Descendants. Uh, yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff, man. Still doing stuff. Good on him. I like him a lot, too. All right, moving forward, we got Ricky Lake. Plays Misty Sutphin, right? A few things of note from her. She was also in Hairspray, John Waters' film. She was in the film Cookie, Last Exit Brooklyn. She was in Crybaby. She was in a film with Ted Raimi, that movie Skinner. She was in Cabin Boy, Cecil B. Demented. She even had her own television show. I haven't thought of Cabin Boy in so long. How about Ricky Lake from 1993 to 2004? Bro, I was about to say, at least that you know you can always go yeah. on Ricky Lake. Yeah, dude, that's so funny. What's interesting about this, this is a little trivia. I'm going to go ahead and throw that in here. Is at the time of filming this film, right, she also was, she moved to New York so she could do that show, the Ricky Lake show. So she said during the weekends when she was down in Baltimore, you know, she would go up to New York to start looking for apartments. So this coincided with her show about to take off. Mm. All right. So we've got Scott Wesley Morgan plays the role of Detective Pike. A few things of note from him. He was in Species Part 2. He was in Cecil B. Demented and A Dirty Shame. We've got Walt McPherson plays the role of Detective Gracie. A couple things of note from him. He was in The Exorcist Part 3. You might have seen him in Donnie Brasco. He was in Waking the Dead and in Super Troopers. Right. We've got Justin Whalen plays the role of Scotty Barnhill. Uh, things of note from him he was in several episodes of charles in charge from 1989 he played andy in child's play part three this is really interesting oh. mm-hmm. you might have seen him in white wolves part two legend of the wild he was in several episodes of lois and clark like that new superman show mm-hmm. from 1994 through 97 he was also in the film dungeons and dragons that's right yeah that's where i most remember him i remember that movie all right we've got patricia Dunnock, she plays the role of Birdie. A few things of note from her, she was in The Age of Innocence. She was in the film Malice and Money Monster. All right, we've got Mink Stoll, plays the role of Dottie Hinkle. All right, now she's basically been in all of John Waters' films, right? Because yeah. she was a part of the Dreamlanders, the original, OG. And uh, let's see, a few things outside of that, but I'm a cheerleader, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1999. Oh, she was in those Eating Out movies. 
Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like a series of those films. So, yeah. But like I said, if you've seen a John Waters film, you've seen Mink Stole. All right. We've got Mary Jo Catlett plays the role of Rosemary Ackerman. Fucking Mrs. Puff. That is crazy, right? SpongeBob? Yeah. I get down on some SpongeBob. Oh, I mean, I like SpongeBob too. I mean, my yeah. sisters, my younger sisters, they were of the age where that was more impressionable on them, right? But uh, outside of Mrs. Puff, you might have seen her in The Benchwarmers. She was Mrs. Elwood. <laughs> it's kind of funny. She was in Let's Be Cops, film I haven't seen. But I think that's probably more notable. Like you've already mentioned it, Mrs. Puff, the voice of. Because we have a large cast, I don't want to get too in depth, but I'll hit some of the major hitters. All right, we've got John Badia. He plays the role of Mr. Stubbins. A few things I've known from him. He was in Broadcast News. You might have seen him in Pecker. He was also in Tuck Everlasting in the movie Head of State. We've got Lonnie Horsey plays the role of Carl Pageant. He was in Buried Alive Part 2. We have Tracy Lords. She was Carl's date in the film. Wow. Checkered past, if you want to put it mildly, I suppose. Okay, so it's no hang em high McCoy, but take a guess at how many episodes for Mrs. Puff. And then we'll get back to the, because that's really mm. interesting. But No, that's a good question. All right, let me ask this. This might be a little bit more, because we already mentioned somebody who's got 400 episodes. Was it, was it more than 400? It's, it's far less. Okay, let's go. It's still an extremely impressive amount. All right, let's go 250. You're still a bit, okay. a bit high. but Let's go, then let's go 175. Closer. Yeah. We're going to go 115. Okay, okay. Still, that's a good run. Still impressive. Fucking hell. Yeah. yeah. I was aiming big because our homeboy went up 400 numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, Law & Order's been on for a shit ton. All right. Tracy Lords, a few things of mainstream note, right? She was in Crybaby. She was in Blade as Raquel. She was also in Excision as Phyllis and Zach and Miri make a porno. Tons of other things outside of that. She's got 173 freaking credits. So how far do you want to get into this? I mean, a lot of B, Z, great kind of stuff. But, um, you know, before that, I think a lot of people know. <laughs> I don't have to say. I think you know. If you know, you know. All right. We have Kathy Fannin plays the role of Betty Sterner. Really only thing of note. We've got Doug Roberts plays the role of Ralph Sterner. A few things to know from him because he's been in quite a few things, which is actually really cool. Um, he was in a couple of those Lincoln kind of TV miniseries back in the 70s, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Where he played, you know, had a couple different roles. He was in a uh, Burt Reynolds film called Best Friends from 1982. He was also in, in Hairspray. He was in G.I. Jane. He was in the film Pecker, Enemy of the State, Cecil B. Demented, a Dirty Shame, The Wire for a few episodes back in uh, 2002 through 2006. I mean, it's from Baltimore. Makes sense, right? Yeah, a few other people outside of this. We've got Patsy Grady Abrams, who plays the role of Mrs. Jensen. She was also in the film Pecker, Enemy of the State, Cecil B. Demented, Head of State, and A Dirty Shame. Got Patty Hearst, plays Juror Number 8. Not that she's been in a bunch of stuff. She was in Hairspray and a few other things, mostly, like I said, John Waters stuff, but... Holy shit. Her trial... I always forget that that's that Patty Hearst when I see her. Big deal from that time period, which I'll mention a little bit later on. It's kind of really interesting stuff. All right, and last but not least, we have Suzanne Somers, plays herself, you know. I think of... Suzanne is either in Three's Company or in Step by Step. That's typically yeah. where I think of her. Problem. I usually think of Step by Step first off, but yeah, I, I have seen a bit of Three's Company due to the amount of Nick at Night I used to watch. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, if you're from our generation, you know, and of course she's got some other stuff up now, but because it's not necessarily about her, and she's just mostly in a cameo. Yeah, like so. There's L Seven. L Seven fucking looks. rocks out in this movie. They really do. Um, I'll mention something cool about that once we get into the next section but yeah that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew like i said there's a lot of other people but i thought this is probably more of our pertinent characters in the film let's see we'll give some warnings Warnings? yeah warning this film contains language yes (laughs) it does mostly language honestly there's some violent like she's a serial killer so there's some violence there's some violence there's a little bit of blood and gore blood and gore but it's not focused on too heavily yeah that's Um, definitely not the focus of this film definitely there's at least one scene that you could argue has kind of good gore and it's on screen for a minute or two i feel like it's on screen long enough that you can see that it looks like something that you would pick up down at like the fucking grocery store oh well yeah like it's not yeah minor spoiler 
it's obviously not a normal organ you're looking at, yeah, right? Like yeah. it looks like a fucking cut of meat. Yeah, and that's okay, you know. So it might get you at first, but I, in my opinion, just stare at it for a second. Don't well, flinch away. Just, just stare at it for a second. That's just and it. you're good to go. Yeah. I'm trying to think anything outside of that. I mean, there's you know sexual stuff going on. Oh too, yeah. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, is there real nudity in this, or is it just pictures? There's, yeah, there is there because is. there's video in the background that's being yeah. played. So yeah. Oh, that's right. Technically yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking, yeah. Yeah, there's video uh, on video because you're watching it on video. Anyway, yes, yeah, meta. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that that would count though, considering we're already. No, I know, I know, but you know, it's for, yeah, exactly. It, it's hard to argue that, but yeah, it would count. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Did we cover everything? That sounds like so. everything. I mean, like, you know, we usually give. If not, we'll we'll bring it up before you get there. That's right. Well, I say in that case, let's find out how Serial Mom made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Alright, dude. Serial Mom, cap off our little serial killer section. Not much of a horror, but it's not like we're any strangers to horror comedy. This isn't even really horror comedy. Like, it's on the verge of being horror, but... Yeah, but... It's not a mockumentary, but it's close. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because it's hard to argue that. And it's serial killer focused. I don't know. Like, there's arguable horror in it. In just her insanity. and Well, that's just it. I think that's where it, it fits in line with quote-unquote horror. Mm-hmm. You know, because underneath the umbrella there is serial killers. And, mm. you know, that's the premise. <laughs> more just a sort of biting dark comedy more than yeah, anything. I mean, it, it's satirical. It, it's a satire and through and through. Now, what I find interesting about this and just you know thinking about the time period listening to some of the interviews and what john waters had to say with kathleen turner had to say what mink stole had to say because they were a part of an interview i listened to but this was before like court tv and right before the oj simpson trial and things of that nature right so like that's actually ties right into what my very first note is which is that this movie isn't quite prescient because following crime has always been a thing. Like you said, this might be, you know, immediately prior to like court TV, absolutely OJ Works trial, like all that really sort of thing. Face, but, but it's not like there wasn't no, I, I true crime that stuff that was super popular anyway. I mean, if you're a fan, you don't necessarily have to be a fan, but if you're familiar with John Waters' works, he likes to show or at least put some kind of like Charles Manson picture mm. or something, you know, anecdotal, whatever in his film so but it just gets back to that that whole not necessarily worship per se but there is that that idolism of in media sensationalism of serial killers you know right so like it's kind of prescient in the way that like it's the visual medium taking it on which isn't something that had really really popped off yet but it also wasn't like super new and out of nowhere like It was building, you know, people know about this, but like in this day and age where not only are we now like post court TV, post all sorts of weird trials, but now we're into the age of like true crime podcasts being fucking gigantic. It's huge. You can like, this feels even more prescient. 100%. Like I said, because of the digital media and because of our access, this is where I want to tie back my idea, but this is where John Waters talked about it. And it makes sense too. You know, with crime stories, sometimes you had to wait a few days before the story, you know, kind of unfolded or media outlets were starting to get the scoop. Now everything's instantaneous. Like mm-hmm. you have multiple outlets to get your news and you can go over so many different people and so many different angles because of that. So that's the difference. It's, it almost becomes to the point, and I know we've talked about this too, where you become a little desensitized to it because it's, in a sense, oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Where you might have to had to dig a little bit. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but you didn't quite have your hands on it as readily available. Yeah, it, it wasn't opening up the hyperlink oh in a gosh. new tab Are you as you're going me? through a fucking Wikipedia page. It kind of shows you like how really fortunate we have it in terms of like instant access to information. Yeah, if you have a device and you have access to you know, internet, boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, it, you didn't have that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, per se. And this, 
<laughs> it's it's kind of a meta horror too, in the sense that like this movie is about what can go wrong when you do sensationalize serial killers. We've talked about it a couple times just in this block. We have where it's always writing a line where you have to keep in mind that they're terrible people and not just glamorize the story. Absolutely. Which I, I ought, you know, definitely has been failed at before. I will say I haven't watched that happen many times because <laughs> I tend to stay away from shit movies, but it's there if you want it. Yeah, it's there. And other things I wouldn't necessarily say failed, but I would say that people's media literacy failed and you can definitely see people sort of taking the wrong cues from certain things. But there's also always been weird like murder groupies and serial killer groupies and shit throughout history anyway. So I don't think we can, I don't think we can only blame like media literacy on that one. I think it's just that some people just are attracted to that sort of thing. And that's just it. Yeah. Although media literacy failing, I think is part of it at times. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. It creates a kind of an outlet for the outside. It's going to be taboo and subjective as it is, but you know, um, it opens a door for people to explore those avenues. I've developed, Know, a fetish or a kink or whatever you want to call it. And that's perfectly all right, I suppose. But it is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't want to use words like weird or it's not weird per se. It's to me, it's interesting. It's like, I don't subscribe to it, but it's there. It exists. Right. And like, I don't know, like the, the movie kind of addresses that a little bit. Like the son is fucking harmless. He's a giant fucking horror fan, but that doesn't mean but he's shit. he's a nerd. Yeah, too. I mean, you know, he's a nerd, quote unquote. But the mom is a fucking serial killer groupie. Like, that is so fucking Hang'em High McCoy finds all sorts of shit from <laughs> yeah. fucking Bundy and who else? Richard Speck and yeah. like. That shit was like, it was wild. That shit was so fucking funny, yeah. though. <laughs> well. <laughs> The tape. Nature. Here's what's funny about that too. The voice. Do you know who the voice? That's, is? that's Waters. Yeah, that's like that's so funny. Now, here's something I wanted to bring up. I didn't want to bring it up, of course, during a, you know, a roll call, if you want to call it that. You know, for the free section, is John Waters is and was known for going to trials, like just being in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a fucking true crime fan. Yeah, and that was. He talked about all right, and this is before why like you could be a giant true crime right. fan. He was a giant true crime. He talked fan. about sitting in on the whole Watergate trial, you know, and this is how he met Patty Hearst. He sat in on hers as well. Oh shit! I didn't know that. That's how they met. Like I yeah. know that he uses her a lot, but well, that's just it. It's like when I can't remember how if he even mentioned how they met, but regardless, that was that's something he talked about. He's like, yeah, I was in the courtroom during your trial <laughs> like wow so yeah he and it's his mom so, used to do that it's so wild seeing her on film and then realizing who she is in a bunch of different ways right yeah it's like really gnarly because first off like even if none of the rest of her life had happened she's the grandchild of william randolph first and that alone is like of notoriety not that you know that she contributed but just being a relative of is going to garner attention yeah, that alone is attention. Yeah. Partially because, like, I'm not re- misremembering this, right? Like, William Randolph Hearst is the inspiration for Citizen Kane. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> like. <laughs> this guy was, like, for his time period, like, the mogul, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty gnarly. But then, she was the Hearst baby. God, which is its so, own ordeal. That's so gnarly, man, isn't it? And then... <laughs> Had all the rest of that shit. I, I don't Gosh. even know it. Like, I've never read deep enough into it. I, I don't know remember. enough about it. Yeah, either. Because for me, it'd be just like reading off of a cue card at a point. But just for the little that I gleaned from it, she was with, what was it called? It was like, it almost sounds like Lebanese, but it's not that. It's, it was actually an American, like, terrorist group. Or like Maybe even Syrian. Yeah, 1974 kidnapping by the Symbionese Liberation Army. She was found and arrested 19 months after being abducted. 
they said that uh, she had a case of Stockholm syndrome and then she became a part of that group and carried out certain actions or whatnot. That's why she was arrested. Right. But then she was pardoned and then I think later also like exonerated of all that stuff. Yeah, let's see. She Carter and then the she was convicted for bank robbery and sentenced to 35 years in prison. Later reduced to seven years. Then her sentence was commuted by Carter and she was later fully pardoned by Bill Clinton. Yeah, that's that's fucking wild, dude. I mean, probably a big relief for her, but I don't know enough about all that stuff. Like, even if I did, it's it. Who am I to say anything about it anyway? It's just it's an interesting point and and part of our history in terms of uh, American culture. Yeah, because yeah, I don't, huge I don't know enough shit. about it. I mean, like, we didn't we weren't around back right. then either. All I know is it sounds like shit was wild. Well, yeah, could you imagine, like, sitting in, like, once again, John Waters in the, on the trial? Like, I'm sure he heard some shit, like, discovered some things, but it's still, it's interesting, regardless, regardless. And that alone is just, like, that's a conversation starter. This is wild because this sentence that I just read doesn't give enough context to know whether he was saying this specifically in defense of Patty Hearst. Right. But even John Wayne spoke out about this. Wow. Understandably, it's hard to know whether someone has truly been brainwashed or not, right? Yeah. At least in a situation like that. Like, I don't want to say it's hard to know because that also sounds like I'm not believing victims. But you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's it's a very... It can be very subjective. It's hard something... It's hard to quantify something like that. Exactly. It's hard to quantify. I think that's that's the bigger thing. Like, there's always that chance that, a like, lot of great they have the best alibi in the world. But I was abducted. Like, ooh. I, I'm giggling in a sense because, like, like I'm not victim blaming nothing like that. It's just like, it's just like, that's a very nice, convenient coincidence. That's the thing. Like, I'm inclined to believe her. Well, likewise. 100%. Right, likewise. But... Given the situation, I understand why people wouldn't want to. Right. And that's that's just it. It's a situation that comes in with all sorts of alibis. Right. And like I said, I don't know enough about the trial or any of the other information to comment one way or the other. I really don't. But this is neat. It's this sentence that I just read, and I would have to look into it more, but it says, actor John Wayne spoke after the Jonestown cult deaths stating that people had accepted that Jim Jones had brainwashed 900 individuals into mass suicide, but would not accept that the Symbionese Liberation Army could have brainwashed a kidnapped teenage girl. Solid point. That's a great argument right there. Like, well, yeah, good on you, like, John Wayne, if you were arguing in defense of her. Like, yeah, well, that's I mean, a, but yeah, I mean, that's a solid argument. But I feel like just her her personal history and then the amount of movies and TV that we've seen in her, her in subsequently is just interesting by itself. Yeah, and what a life story, man. I can only imagine, you know, because we all reflect at a certain point. I would imagine most of us do, but can you imagine, like, her reflection on things? Holy God. Holy, holy cow. I'm sure some of it she doesn't want to reflect well, on. Well, that, that's just it, too. It's like, well, yeah, not always. it's not always yeah. good, regardless we all have mm-hmm. ebbs and flows. That's just the way it goes. Anyway, like, uh, we sort of skipped over this bit. What's your history with this movie? Oh, dude, so I, I do go way back with this. Okay. Mainly, and I didn't know this at the time because I was a kid, but this came out in 94, so if I, my memory serves me correct, I probably would have seen this either late 94 or early 95 because I saw it way back when it was still on cable. And I know this because I watched it at my grandma's house, so that I would have put it right around that time period. And I'd probably seen it just a few times, maybe like two or three times. And then I bought it a couple years back and watched it with my sister Ashley. It had been a while. So I've seen it a handful of times, probably like four or five times. But I do go back because it was on cable way back when. Due to the times it would show up on like, specifically I remember seeing this on Showtime. I go pretty far back. I probably saw it for the first time in 98. Okay. I think I've only seen the movie twice before, though. And the last time would have still been, like, 2001. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. No, this was one where, like, this wasn't even, like, I was staying up trying to look at titties on Showtime. (laughs) This was, like, 
a legit, like, I was having just a super shitty night sleeping and just couldn't fucking sleep and turned on the TV to see yeah. what was on. And it was like four in the morning and this was fucking starting. Like, all right. And I was like, all right, let's see what the fuck a serial mom is. And I remember enjoying it though. Legitimately there's, there's only one thing from this movie that I ever like could recall off the top of my head. And it is what I was kind of referencing earlier with the blood and gore where she yeah. fucking sticks the guy in the fucking like yeah. liver chunk is on the, and, exactly. And she does for a little bit. And that's a memorable scene. And that's that's all I ever really remember to this movie. But I do want to point out, because there's not often I really get to, to bring this up, yeah. John Waters plays a really interesting part of, like, my childhood and yeah, my love of movies. So there was three movies we got to do this with. And I don't know how many times... I, I always describe it as any time it happened. And it might be any time it happened, because it's extremely rare that things would line up like this. So I might be correct. And it just doesn't, it still only happened like one or two times. Okay. But if Crybaby, the pest or the princess bride were playing on HBO or short showtime when we were supposed to go to school, we didn't have to go to school until that <laughs> fucking movie finished. Nice. And so like Crybaby plays a huge part of my childhood. Cause Basically, that and The Pest, more so than The Princess Bride, those two movies, if they were on HBO or Showtime, my family would basically stop what they were doing, and we would all just, it was automatically what the the station would stop on, and we would finish watching it. Uh, That's pretty awesome. Uh, So, Crybaby was kind of a weird constant throughout my childhood. Fucking love John Waters for that alone. Um and I do, I do really enjoy some of his other stuff. I haven't went super deep in the John Waters. Nah, like, it's like not that you have to, but you know, it, it has its place in history. But like, love me some uh, hairspray. Yeah, fucking. I haven't seen Cecil B. Demented. I've been kind of curious about. That. I think I've seen bits and pieces of Pecker. Um, I just love whenever he shows up in things too. No, he's really cool making camp. I mean, think about. Just as like a pop cultural reference for SNL with the Lonely Island doing the the creep. Oh my god, yeah. So, so good. even so relevant, you know. And he's a staple as far as figures go in Baltimore. Mm. You know, which is another thing because he mainly shoots most of his films in and around Baltimore and uses locations and people from that area that, you know, are either influential or once again staples of the community. And honestly, rewatching this movie has me interested in possibly going back and going a little bit deeper and paying a little bit more attention to more of Waters' work. Oh, that's because cool. I kind of I kind of love the way that he skewers like the classic, wholesome American traditional yeah. everything. Well that's... depending on what movie we're talking about. Like, yeah, I think that's really cool in this sense too, because Talking to our friend, Mr. Patrick, there's just a few films, you know, that kind of touch upon the the subject that hit the mark like this. Like another one I would probably compare this to slightly is Parents, mm-hmm. uh, which came out a few years before this. But it, it's kind of like that take on the nuclear family, 1950s kind of suburban cookie cutter families and shit like that. Suburban housewives. But with these dark secrets, you know, they're, they they do things that, you do, you would never suspect. Yeah. And you're right. In this case, it's satirical. Yeah, this, yeah. And this one is a darker take than some where she's legitimately a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at some of those others that I named off, like Hairspray or, oh, yeah, or yeah. Crybaby, like all of that veneer is still there. And it doesn't get as dark as a serial no, killer mom, no. but it still shows like even though it's this super bright, happy coding of just how but restrictive no, and how demeaning it truly is to have point. to live within those strictures. That's a very good point. Here's something kind of neat I think you might find interesting. I didn't know this until I listened to that little behind-the-scenes interview and whatnot. John Waters said the scene, and I know we jump around, but that's okay. That's, that's what this section is. The scene where the math teacher gets run over you know, by Kathleen Turner, Beverly. That scene, in particular, because it's shot at that that school, that school is actually where John Waters said that Divine, 
would get bullied like in real life. Oh shit. Okay. Right? And this is kind of a cool, you know, kind of wrap around. Wrap around. Yeah, is this that actual school because of its history and whatnot actually started an anti-bully campaign in hmm. Divine's honor and John Waters' honor and stuff like that because of, you know, the history and whatnot oh, there. So, yeah, I was like, that's kind of really cool, you know, not only part of his history, but, you know, what came, came out of it as a result, right. too, which is really neat. So, yeah, who knows? Shit like that happens sometimes. So this one's weird because it's another one where it feels like, especially in hindsight, with, with today's lenses, it kind of reminds me of Audition, where this is a little bit different because this one was always meant to sort of poke at like class and social structures, whereas Audition was pointing, poking more at like genre tropes. Yeah, that's a good point. But in a modern lens, when you're seeing what a 50 style housewife is having to deal with, this kind of just turns into a revenge movie. Yeah. I mean, it really is because that's what she's doing. It's kind of just like revenge for all the, the, the rage of the pent up feelings from having to deal with. Oh, yeah. The, just all of it. Uh, yeah. Like I said, the money, the patriarchy, all of it. Yeah. All, <laughs> all of it. Just the encapsulation of the stress of having to be that kind of housewife. Yeah. The, the different demeaning things that come along with it. Yeah, the, it's like having the a, demeaning things of just being a woman, being hit on by like her coworkers and shit. It, it's interesting because, you know, you can get really kind of philosophical of, in yeah, sense. The stress of trying to defend your family. Well, in a sense, in a psychological sense, is like having to put on all these different costumes or masks. You know, you're wearing all these different costumes depending on your interactions. and you know, Like I said, all, all these different things that consume your life. Sometimes you have to play a different character. Mm-hmm. you know and then we've talked about it this is kind of weird that you know like we can bring these things up but it makes sense because of the films but in a way um kind of like perfect blue where you can kind of lose your sense or lose yourself because you're having to play so many different characters you mm-hmm. don't know who your true self is so you become a kind of an avatar of yourself and then in this case you know because of that well now i can kind of hide behind the curtains and hide behind the veil if you will and it's just like, I, I don't know, like I'm not a mother or a woman. No, neither am I. <laughs> but stuff, movies like this, I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, John Waters is also not a mother or a woman, no. but it's sp- trying to do his best to speak to that experience and what she's having to deal with. And it's even like, even when she's being fucking perfect, like shit falls through, like, cool. Your son's fucking brilliant, but he's kind of a weirdo, so I'm still yeah. gonna come down on you. Like Exactly. There there must be something wrong. Right. And it like how much well, how much it can come down on you when you're not fitting into that perfect mold. And and that's interesting too, because I'm wondering too, there's a part of me you know, and I wonder imagine because there's exaggeration. Mm-hmm. You know, that comedy. Oh, this movie's ex- fucking over the well, top. Well that's there's there's a part of me too when she's having conversations with those the trash guys, you mm-hmm. know, and they're out there is like, I wish somebody would just give her the old smiley face and recycle her. I was like, Man, how much is that really just, you know, the exaggeration of the conversation that would normally happen, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So because she's serial mom, things are probably gonna be more heightened or more disillusioned, more exaggerated. That's what I'm saying is like, how much of that was in that kind of, you know, the writing, the contextual stuff. Well, and how, I mean, some of the, some of the characters until they're forced to become human, more human because of the circumstances later on. But in the first half of the movie, how many of them are just tropes or, or are paper thin and are like, obvious stand-ins for like the social structure that you're poking fun at even the father yeah fucking hang him high mccoy (laughs) for the first half of the movie is reduced to i believe 90 percent of his lines are whoever did this should get the death penalty yeah whoever did that should get the death penalty whoever you know right it's like no that's not good that person should have got the death penalty yeah it's interesting because there is like this uh 
this moral ambiguity to, you know, like there's, there's certain sentiments until once again, it happens to you or someone close to you. It's all fine to be fucking tough like that until it's happening to you. Precisely. It's like, yeah, how much moral conviction do you really have? Are you just like becoming an echo chamber or, you know, does your wife, the mother of your Uh, children deserve the death penalty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably because uh, I will say this movie Wow. It can be slightly reframed in the modern day as kind of a feminist revenge tale, but at the same time, she's fucking crazy. Well, yeah, come and on, and she's dude. petty as shit. And we can't forget that she's a terrible person and fucking serial killer. Well, that's just it. Another thing. There's another thing too. I feel like he's doing John Waters. That is, is from that lens, but also just as a general audience, these are certain sentiments that you know in certain scenarios, like somebody cutting you off in traffic, you know. You have it's this okay rage. to feel this way, right? Just don't fucking do it. Well, that's just it. That's why, you know, it's like that's why it's a satire. It's like mm-hmm. there's a there's situations where people probably have this same feeling or these same sentiments, but they don't act upon them. Whereas in a film, it's like, well, what if? But what if you could? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we put it in this suburban housewife. You know, who fits that kind of like they said, leave it to Beaver, that kind of stuff. You know. And her entire friend group's the same way. They're That's all trying to it. be these perfect little That's fucking Stepford precisely. wives. And it's just, like you were saying, it's very paper thin. It, it, it's and if just, she can't keep up with that, then you know that all those other fucking biddies are going to be gossiping about oh, her. Of course, man. It's... That's all they fucking do because we all know that type. <laughs> and it's, that's just it. It's like it, they're tropes for a reason and they're stereotypes for a reason. I'm not saying that you have to lean on them, but you know that there's, they're stand-ins for people that you know. You know, or people that fit the bill. Yeah, people people that you know, even if you don't know them. Yeah, it's like, if you know, you know. Yeah, we, come on, it's there for a reason. Um, it's just exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's what this film is about. And I like that. It's like, even back then, when I say back then, when I first saw this film, it was one of those films where it wasn't at the point of like seeing like gore, like real gore and horror. To me, I like, I knew there was comedy in it, but I didn't know how satirical it was or how, as far as like poking back at media sensationalism and like you were saying, like groupies or fans of serial killers and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And it made me think a little bit of, of last week too, how because of there's so much media that you can consume when it comes to all kinds of different serial killers, no matter what degree, you know. But then the thing I find interesting and funny in a sense is you can listen to it, you can consume it, but if you put it in more of a visual form, it becomes quote unquote repulsive. Like what, it, how could you watch that? Like, right. Really? <laughs> That's what I find. So it tickles me pink, man, because it's like, what are you talking about in a way? Like, really? That's it. Yeah. It's like, this is a fictionalized version of that. Whereas you really hear in the details. And then it's like, well, when you're hearing it, how are you visualizing it? Because that's kind of what this is. Mm-hmm. It's just a softer approach because these are actors. These are, you know, people can walk away from it at the end of the day. Oh, my God. This is pissing me off. I just looked at one of my notes, and one of my notes was to remind me to do some research before we actually started the show. And I'm honestly, I'm just not going to do it now, but I'm going to bring this up oh, because... Yeah. It's fucking amazing, and I love the when at the fair after she fucking stabs the guy. The one fucking scene that I could remember in this yeah, movie, yeah. right? A minute later, the guy that comes in and finds the body, oh, the has, has an eighty-yard scream. Yeah, it's a stock scream, and I need to know where it's from because I've heard that fucking scream in so many fucking things. Yeah, it's called the Howie scream. That's the Howie. Okay, yeah, that's what it's called. Because it's like. Yeah, when he does it, because he's leaning so heavy into it, it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds stock as shit, but it's funny. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's a amazing use of that screen. I did not know that that was called the Howie. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked it up. I was doing a little research. What other things use the Howie? That I didn't look up, because I was like, well, how far do I want to get into it? You know what? That, that's what I'll look up right now. Oh, no, I like it. I like it, because he does a lot of stuff like that. Oh, actually, this is kind of neat, man. So, you know, because we're in spoiler section and all this fun stuff and I can bring up some trivia. So there's a there's a couple of lines that Kathleen Turner has when she's prank calling Dottie Hinkle. Okay. You know, and she's using all kinds of filthy language, but she 
says something in particular where she's like, you know, is this the cocksucker residence? And John Waters said the reason that he wrote that line into the film is at a time when he was friends with Boy George, he said he called Boy George and he got his voicemail. And that was what the line started off was like, hi, this is the cocksucker residence. <laughs> and he's like, it took him aback, you know, he's like, I it wasn't a, wasn't even expecting that or anticipating that. He's like, but that's what it reminded him of. And he had to put that in the film. So I thought that was kind of funny. So he uses stuff like that. He's also said that, uh, like the fire poker scene you were talking about with the liver and stuff. He said that was kind of his nod and tribute to H.D. Uh, Lewis because for him, he said, you know, growing up in Baltimore and then going to drive-ins and all that stuff and watching stuff like Blood Feast. That's why it's so prominent in the background in this film, you know. He said because that was kind of the stuff for him that was pushing the boundaries and created a whole nother you know, genre, subgenre of film. And they made him want to kind of do something similar, you know, showing gore and blood and kind of neat, man. You know, we kind of go back to it with H.G. Lewis too. So it's kind of cool. Let's see. All I could find for sure is that it's called the Howie scream because it's a reference to Howie Long ah. and his death scene in Broken Arrow. However, that's not the first time it was used. It seems to be originated as a sound effect in the movie The Ninth Configuration. Mm. Which um, I've actually seen that movie. And it's also known as the TIE Fighter scream because of how close it sounds to a TIE Fighter. That was that one it sounded more like right behind you. <laughs> Star Wars, yeah. Oh, here. Oh, I have some appearances. Oh, shit. Okay, I found a list. Here we go. This is fucking amazing already, dude. Okay, Ninth Configuration is possibly the first. Okay. Nobody knows for sure, unquote, but that's yeah. the earliest we can find. Asterisk, though. Betrayal at Crondor, I don't know what that is. Beethoven's second. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Last Action Hero. Okay, that makes more sense. Serial Mom. Okay. It's in the theme song of All Real Monsters. I mean, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they throw an echo effect on it, but it's in there, That's apparently. really cool. Basketball Diaries. That's kind of cool. The Lion King's Timon and Pumbaa, which I believe was an animated series that ran. Yeah, that's how I think. Broken Arrow. Of, that's yeah, the, the Howie Long. Yeah. Yep. Face Off. That's, kinda, that's really cool. The Relic. Huh. Crash Bandicoot. Video when game? you kill lab assistants, that's what they use for the death screen. That's, I think we talked about that a little bit. Crash Bandicoot 2 for the same thing. Wow, that's hilarious. StarCraft. Uh, yeah. Whenever you click on the Terran Academy, if you have the sound effects on. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, the game, again. Mothman Prophecies. Half-Life 2. Robot Chicken, of course. Of course, they're going to use it at some point. He's stock one. Call of Duty 4, Harold and Kumar 2, Prison Break, Final Destination, but only in the trailers. Oh, The Final Destination, so that was the 2009. Fright Night, the remake. Primeval, Paul. Wow. Mulan, the live action. Up. What? <laughs> Up? It's in Up. Wally. Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock, Fifth Element. Dude, this is amazing. Contact, Double Trouble. Yeah, dude. Fucking wild. That's from a stock. How we scream. That's pretty early. But yeah, I mean, it's noticeable too when the guy comes in and he does that shit. When I was trying to look up a list, one of the first things I found was somebody just being like, nothing will beat how it's used in Serial Mom, though. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Stands out. That's kind of. Some some of the things when I think about this film, even before we did it, there there are some scenes that stand out in terms of like you know how I remember it. <laughs> One of is definitely her prank calling Dottie with the whole pussy willows thing, mm -hmm. you know, pussy. Uh, her doing like her her legs and shit in the courtroom. I remember that, and then the fucking Annie with the woman getting her feet uh, licked with the dog. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah, those those are some of those standout scenes, and then the ones I I forget sometimes or. Like her quote unquote sex scene with, you know, Eugene, Mr. McCoy. <laughs> yeah, that shit's hilarious. 
and um, oh, like whacking hung it. Them high, McCoy. Yeah, yeah, like that dude whacking it and getting caught whacking off. Yeah, that shit is so yeah. fucking funny. Oh my god, I like I had forgotten that he was in this movie entirely. When I saw him, I was like, "Oh, that motherfucker!" Well, it it makes sense in a way because I I always am like he looks so much like Will Wheaton. And then I read yeah. that Will Wheaton actually auditioned for this movie. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more <laughs> sense. Okay. He but does I, look a lot like Will Wheaton. Yeah. And it makes me wonder. It's like, well, this dude, I mean, he did a good job. It's not that he had to do a whole lot, but he did a good job. I think mean, that's just it. It's like the interesting thing. I think the biggest pull, of course, was getting Kathleen Turner. They had a lot of different people in mind, you know what I mean? But I can't really see anybody else pulling it off the way that she does in this film, man. And even like in her phone calls, like you can see it's not just acting. You can tell she's probably having a lot of fun and giggling and shit. Like, I can't believe I'm actually saying this kind of stuff. I'd, I'd throw out, I don't think it's somebody that actually tried. Cause I saw the list of people that they were considering. I, I don't think this name ever was part of the conversation, but one actress I can think of that I would throw possibly in this role. Although I'm not saying I love Kathleen Turner. In yeah, this. She's yeah, fucking no, fantastic. No but if you had to switch her out, Catherine O'Hara. Oh well, yeah. I mean, Catherine O'Hara is awesome. It would it would definitely be, you know. I mean, she's awesome. It would be different. I mean, yeah, that's that's. That I mean, it would be her own flair. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, of course, she's not the same, and neither neither is Kathleen Turner. But if I yeah, had to choose someone else, yeah. like, and that's would, the only would make, other person I could think of. That I would, could definitely see her in that role too, because of I mean, she's worked with Tim Burton and all kinds yeah. of other people too. You know the whole Christopher Guest group and shit like that, too. So she knows comedy. Yeah, yeah. Man, there's some shit in this that I don't know if I ever would have picked up before. That There's a lot of subtle stuff. There's a lot of really subtle. Fucking Ricky Lake always wanting, like, having the fucking hots for the one detective, right? Mm -hmm. And then fucking she is all pissed off because... Dude fucking takes other t- takes Tracy Lords to the carnival or fair or whatever the fuck. Yeah, it was, it was like that right? swap meet or whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever the fuck it was. Oh yeah, 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 swap meet or whatever. For some reason, I always think of it as being like the fair or the carnival or something. But it reminds me, <laughs> there's a place. I'm gonna just going off a real quick tangent. I'm not gonna sit here and steep in it. But if you've ever gone to like small little convention centers where they're like selling electronics or like fucking weapons. <laughs> Yeah, you know <laughs> that kind of stuff or trading cards. Yeah, vinyl. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. It's similar to that. So she wa- fucking wants dude. Dude goes with other t- with Tracy Lords. She wants detective. <laughs> After dude gets killed, Tracy Lords and detective start looking. Yeah, at Yeah, it's kind of funny. And it's I was just funny. like, oh, I don't know if I ever would have fucking caught. Yeah, that little that little fucking yeah, joke. Exactly. And that's just it. it's like even him using the bubble gum stuff, like the chewing gum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like a long lived gag, but just in the opening sequence, he's, he they set it up. She doesn't like them chewing gum, and then when she runs over the freaking math teacher, he's got a water oh, you know, thing of gum right next mm-hmm. to him. So it's stuff like little subtle stuff like that. It's like okay, he didn't use it beyond that, and like he used it to his effect, and that was that was clever. You know, I, I like stuff like that. Kind of cool. Or like another like. When I saw this movie when I was 12, I don't think I realized just how funny it was when they went to church and the fucking sermon was capital punishment and you. <laughs> yeah, it's like director. Well, he said that was the hardest place for them to get, you know, mm. I won't say rights, but, you know, get permission to use. Dude, I totally forgot that she blew that snot rocket on that little kid. <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah, dude. Yep. Didn't remember that either. That no, shit was it great. Just smacks that kid and it sets <laughs> off that whole frenzy. And that to me it reminds me of some stuff like we've seen with Leslie Nielsen, that kind of style mm. of humor. It's it's effective and it sets like that whole spiral of things off from there. Well, I think the biggest surprise to me re going through it after so many years, I forgot that the entire world knows she's serial mom, I think before <laughs> the halfway point in the movie. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like it just I shows forgot like how fervor. much of a comment it was on celebrity and glamorizing about, of true crime and yeah, all this other shit. Like, and that's kind of once again, if if you're of age to remember 
not like you said, it, not that it hadn't existed before, but not to the point where it was becoming more in, in terms of the media, like sensationalism. Like you, you have more access to it now because of technology. You had to search it out before. Right. It was there, but you had to already had know to a, that you had that interest and you had to go take a look for it. Precisely. And, you know, it still wasn't hard to find things that would pique that oh, interest that is- because without having the internet and fucking thousands upon thousands of things streaming at your fingertips, people were a little bit more likely to just like wander through libraries. Yeah. And all it takes is like wandering by the true crime section and seeing an interesting title. That's all it takes. Just a spark an interest. I mean, we even talked about it a little bit. Once again, it reminds me a little bit of last week in a sense, you know, where it doesn't always have to be in a true crime. It could just be, you know, conflating a murder mystery you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff a pulp fiction something akin to that you know and realizing like oh shit this is where my interests lie but Precisely. the point is you used to have to seek it out now you're oh, scrolling dude, through fucking like, tv channels and there's court tv like you brought up like real yeah and to me and I, it's a it's a lower stakes version but even judge Ju- judy oh all of that stuff cops all that yeah. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> You know, in a way, you're watching, you know, the downfall of a person or, you know, these crimes and all kinds of other shit. You know, it's like this weird lens you're watching. It. And it's, it's voyeurism is what it is. It really is. It's not within the structure of the law, as we would think of for something true crime. Yeah, but yeah. to a certain extent, even things like Jerry Springer or Ricky Lake. Uh, that's just it, man. Fall into that. It it is. It's like I I'm guilty, just as much as the next person of falling into you know finding entertainment in that kind of stuff. It's it is. It's it's poignant in the sense is like it's entertaining until it happens to you or somebody you know. You know, then it becomes like oh shit <laughs> that kind of stuff. But it also humbles you. It should humble you in a sense. It's like you know, maybe we should be a little bit more sympathetic to people who are victim of certain circumstances and things like that. And maybe not broadcast it for the whole world to see. Yeah. You know, but that's just my take on it. You know, I don't have to like it, but it's there. Which is something that I know that we both get down on eventually uh, is the hard hitting point in the last couple episodes of the first season. American Vandal hits that home real hard too. Yeah, dude, it really does. And I think that's a good way of, of why things like this in terms of film where you can, you know, express and explore these ideas, you know, to the point where, yeah, we know this is a film, but it also has a larger theme and message. You know, it's like we wouldn't be able to have films like this if there wasn't also an underlying, you know, theme that runs across our society and culture, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, we're just bringing this stuff to the surface and we can explore it and poke fun at it a little bit, but it's also, it's there. Yeah. There for a reason. It was kind of cool in that sense. I don't think I got too much else on this. Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Let me just go around. Oh, you know what I thought was really neat? I mean, not that it was anything like, oh, knock my socks off, but how many times we've brought up Henry as block. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it gets a call out during the whole breakfast sequence. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Two call outs because during the trial, that Henry is well. Lee Lucas. Yep, and that is Joan really Wayne cool. Gacy. That is, yeah, I mean, he brings those up. It's really cool. Even in Matthew Lillard chip in the film, his bedroom, you know, I, I didn't get them all, but he's got some of the pictures, you know, up on his wall, and he's got some posters and shit like that. And I was catching a few of them. I was like, okay, well, Blood Feast, of course, is an obvious one. Pumpkinhead was in the background. Mm-hmm. I believe maybe Reanimator. Because oh, Rawhead Rex mm. was definitely in the background. Shit, okay. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of cool. He had a macabre, which it wasn't the Italian macabre. I think it was probably more like uh, like a Roger Corman. You know, you mm, could tell he was mm-hmm. paying a little bit of homage to those kind of guys. Corman, H.G. Lewis. Some of the, uh, I know they said that he was uh, influenced by Russ Meyer as well. Okay. Which is really cool. Um, so, you know, things like that. Um, so I caught a little bit of that. But aside from that... It's neat watching these films now, especially ones that we grew up with, with these kinds of lenses and, you know, recalling what it was like watching it back then, but knowing a little bit more about what's going on now, you know, because it's more, you know, adult themed 
can kind of pick up on it now as an adult. Right. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Not that it's like, like I said, once again, groundbreaking, but it brings up solid points of like, hey, this is, we're on the cusp of uh, really going beyond what's probably considered normal interest mm-hmm. in these kind of subjects. Like, so you can really lose yourself in a lot of people do. Oh, man. This is going to be so much fun to have two weeks of Matthew Lillard in a row. That is the interesting thing because, you know, I did not think about that leading into this block or leading into Scream. No, like behind the scenes, all that we thought about was the fact that we wanted to go from more intense to less intense. Yeah, and that's just, it's a good way of doing it. Although, angst. Pretty funny, right? Yeah, I mean, now looking back <laughs> at it, yeah. Not, honestly, you know, because we're at the end, of, I was like, I did not think we would be talking about the humor in that film. I honestly did not think about it. But because, you know, we get the opportunity to watch it multiple times, sometimes those things come to the forefront, you know, not thinking about it the first time through. I even explained that to one of our coworkers. I was like, I was like, this is a movie you're never going to watch. But I still have this on my mind, so you have to listen to me just belt this out at you, you for know, a second. I, but I like, would, I would honestly, you know, because this is hindsight, and this is this is me stoned out there in the in the, the ethos. <laughs> is what we kind of neat, man, is using that one in a block if we ever revisit something like that, like a mm. you know, Hester fright, because I think people can get lost in the visceral side of it as opposed to like catching the humorous side of things. Yeah, because it is upfront, but. Yeah, I don't know. That's a weird one. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, I wonder how transfixed you can get on like just that one side of it and not realize all that other stuff that's going on. In some ways, Tenebra was almost more intense. Not yeah. quite. No, but no, no. But it can go there. Yeah, for sure. That's, it's, that's it, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as big of a difference as we thought it was going to be. No, but if you don't know the kind of the, some of the things that we know or just fans of the genre know, then you're going to view it a little different. So scream next. Ah, oh, that's gonna but be y'all got to get on to that Patreon to listen to that one. Yeah. So we talked about it, right? Little as three bucks. That's right. That's all it takes. And then after that, we haven't figured out our next block. No, not we? our next block. We do know our next Patreon after that, which will yes. be fun. But that's that's a while. Uh, that's like a month away at this point. For yeah, you exactly. Stuff. So we've got a little bit of time before that. Next block, we do have some ideas for blocks, and so we're gonna see maybe what'll happen on one of those fronts because yeah, be that could be fun. I think so. But anyway, for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments questions want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project you can always contact us squirmcast at gmail.com or you can contact us through our website www.friedsquirms.com scroll through our entire back catalog there or click the links up at the top as we are part of the earworm podcast network uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in fried squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.